send the messenger and just what that means, the good news that was coming and the waiting that had happened. And as Pastor Dan already introduced us to, I'm going to ask the same question of us adults. How many of us like waiting? Probably not very many, I suspect. If we liked waiting so much, McDonald's would not exist. If we liked waiting so much, we would all contentedly walk everywhere. If we were content to wait, we wouldn't need to check our uh, any device for Facebook because you never know what's going on right now. For instance, I'm up here nervously anticipating that my favorite college football team needs to beat Michigan State right now so that they can play for the national title that week. But I have to wait until after the sermon. So please don't check for me. It's not nearly that important. But we wait a lot of our lives. Some of you waited a long time to meet Mr. or Mrs. Wright. Yeah? No? Some of you are still waiting to meet Mr. or Mrs. Wright. Others of you are wondering aloud, how will God put the pieces together of this situation that seems so broken? Still others may wonder, what am I supposed to do when I grow up, even though I'm 40? We're not very awake this morning. (laughs) My point is simple. Often in life, we have to wait. It's not always out of our own choice. But the Lord doesn't seem to mind if it's not our choice if we have to wait. Now what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to consider what it would be like to have waited for something for 400 years. So let's go back. Since I don't think any of you can remember what was li- life was like in 1613, I'm trusting none of you were that old, um, but things were a little different back then. For instance, did we have electricity? No. One of the greatest things in the world would have been when the sun went down, you went to bed. Oh, that would be great. Of course, the flip side of that was what time you got up in the morning. Other things. Uh, uh, The wives were expected not only to take care of the children, to cook the meals, but also to make all the clothes. And uh, in 1613, actually 1617, I can't remember, but a book was written that had 200 common ailments and how the wife was expected to heal them for the family. So not only was the wife's expectation to basically be uh, Martha Stewart, but on top of that, the wife was supposed to be doctor mom, which isn't so different from today in a lot of areas. And even for us husbands out there, we sometimes do tend to need our wives to tell us, go to the doctor or take your medicine or things like that. It does happen. Other things out there, education, some was accessible. Let's look at, let's say in the UK is our our model. Uh, There was some education, but it would have stopped at the primary school level, and even that would have been limited. Uh, If you got into grammar school, that was only for boys, so girls, you were already out of luck. But what if, even back then, you had a vision of a different life, of something so much greater than what was going on in 1613, and you began to eagerly anticipate that it was coming, and you knew 
it was coming. Or let's say, let's flip to the 1940s and 1950s and you find yourself in South Africa. You know that the division between black and white is not healthy. You know that things need to be different. And you begin to speak out publicly and it puts you in jail for 27 years. And you wait for 27 years wondering, will this nation ever be healed? Which in many ways they still are. Waiting happens all around us. The text we find ourselves in today is an amazing text when we look at the pretext and the context and all the other texts that are there. Because Luke has written this gospel and he is very clear, these are the reasons I am writing this. And all you have to do is look at, look at Luke 1. And right at the beginning, he said, many have undertaken to draw an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to those from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Theophilus uh, was a Gentile that Luke, Luke was writing to. He wrote Luke and also the, uh, the book of Acts, explaining to him the birth of Christendom. The very birth of Jesus Christ would come shortly hereafter in Luke's account. But to get things right, Luke doesn't start with the birth of Jesus. He starts with the miraculous breaking of silence. Because for 400 years, the Jews had heard nothing from the Lord. For 400 years, there had been no prophecy. There had been no speaking. They were waiting. They were waiting for the one that would come to prepare the way for the Messiah. They had waited and waited with anticipation. And in all reality, let's be honest, a lot had lost focus. If we look around the turn of the century, the millennium, and how we keep time from B.C. to A.D., in this general area, things were not good with the Jewish people. They were under Roman oppression Herod the Great declared himself king of Judea. Uh, We find corruption everywhere throughout Jerusalem. And so among the 8,000 or so priests that were to lead the people, the, the Hebrew people in worship, we found time and again as Jesus would come directly to speak at them, there was corruption. There was walking away. There was in many circles a loss of hope, a loss of discipleship. They were no longer seeking to follow God. They were doing things out of their own ambition and out of their own heart. And we see throughout the scriptures that godly men and women at this time were hard to come by. And then we're introduced to an old couple. Now, Luke is a little gentler in that. Luke introduces us to Zechariah and Elizabeth who were, well, they were well along in years. Not too long ago, the under-shepherds and I were discussing, uh, we, we want very much to create a time where we get together with those of retirement age. 
and we were trying very hard to figure out what do we call a group for those of you that have retired? And, you know, do we call them the golden oldies? Well, no, that sounds just mean. Or do you call them this or that? And somebody piped up, do we call them the old people? No. We, we call them wonderful saints and fellow believers. But it was hard. And so even Luke here wonders, what do we call them? And so he says they were well along in years. And that had with it significance because that refers back to how Abraham and Sarah were referred to when Abraham was told, you will have a son. So throughout this text, there is just miraculous undertones of God at work. But waiting had to happen, and not everyone had done that well. Do we do that well today? You see, because we've been told to wait. As we look at the scriptures, Christ came, right? Yeah, that's Advent season. Christ came and then he left and that's it, right? Oh, come on. Wake up. You're killing me out there. He is coming back, correct? And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the ends of the earth and then the end shall come. He will return. Read Revelation. It's pretty exciting stuff. But... In the meantime, we have been given a mission. And I wonder, in the meantime, does that mission so compel us that it guides everything in our life? It's questions like that that the Jews were faced with 400 years after the book of Malachi had been closed. Was God, the supremacy of God in their lives, enough to govern every aspect of their life? And for two people, we find out that, yeah, God mattered. Because what do we know about Zechariah and and his wife, Elizabeth, is here. They walked with the Lord. Look for me at verse 6. Both of them were upright in the sight of God observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. Mike, I thought you said this was about ordinary people and an extraordinary God. Well, this doesn't sound like Zachariah and his wife Elizabeth were very ordinary. I mean, look, they're upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. Does it say they were perfect? No. Well, let's look a little further. As you walk through the text, you realize that Zechariah and Elizabeth did not live in the city of Jerusalem, okay? Now, that has some ramifications with it, and we'll get there. Second, we also realize that, that Elizabeth, I almost called her Sarah, that Elizabeth was barren. She was unable to have children. Now, let's stop there for a second. In the eyes of man, in Jewish culture at that time, they would have been seen as basically cursed by God. They had clearly done something wrong or sinned that God would not give them a child. Something had gone wrong. Even though Zechariah had done the right thing, he married the daughter of a priest. You weren't supposed to marry outside the priestly line. So he married well, and Elizabeth was a good wife. But in the eyes of man at that time, they were less than ordinary. They were left out by God. They were distinctly neglected. And the reality says that because of the 
imposing taxation of the Roman government at that time and the rich Jews who then imposed more taxes on the people, there's a further issue here that we don't necessarily see unless we dig deeper into the text. And that is that without a son to provide for the family, to take care of Zechariah and Elizabeth as they got older, and without the tithes coming into the church into the temple to take care of these 8,000 priests and their family, only the select few were supported by the tithes and offerings of the Hebrew people. People were not being faithful with what God had given them. So we've got that reality. On the other hand, we have the reality that the government is demanding more and more from them. And then you have that some corrupt Jews are at the top of the food chain saying, give us more. And so where does that leave ordinary priests like Zechariah and Elizabeth? likely out in the hill country of Judea, having to tend to their own farm deep into their old age because they could not provide for themselves. They were ordinary people. There's an application right there. You know, when God calls us into ministry and calls us to shepherd and lead the church, and I don't say this at all ashamedly, when we set budgets for the church, we step out in faith. And the only way we're going to be able to accomplish that which God has called us to and to be the church that we believe God is leading us to, like last year, we said we're going to raise the budget 6.5%, and that was a step of faith. I stand here today to say we're not hitting it. And that says somewhere along the line we've broken the promise. We as church members said we're going to step up and we're going to follow and we're going to give sacrificially to expand the kingdom. Now, obviously, God can give, use as much money as he needs, and it's all his anywhere. But we're not so different, because when the money doesn't come in, even at AIC, we're not able to give as much away. You've heard me say time and again, it is my prayer that we are such a giving church that 50% of everything we take in goes straight to missions. We're not even close right now. Nor were the priests in this time, nor were all of them righteous. But Zechariah and Elizabeth walked with the Lord. And that amazes me. And so Zechariah finds himself. Here's how the priestly system worked. It's kind of cool in one sense. And, and I know most of you think that I only work one day for about 45 minutes a week anyway. So I've got a pretty good gig, but Zechariah had an even better. He only had to work. He was a, there was 48, divi- or 20, no, yeah, 24 divisions. I've just forgotten. Let me go to my notes here. 24, sorry. There were 24 divisions of priests, okay? Each division would serve two one-week terms a year. In other words, that was their time to oversee and to take care of this beautiful temple God had given them, okay? For one week, twice a year. So they did that. Then during the three major religious festivals of Hebrew culture, they would all come together. All 8,000 plus priests would come together to attend that. Now, one priest per each service... So not very often did this happen. But during that one week, they were to go in and light the incense. One of those priests of that division would get that chance. In other words, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. This doesn't happen very often. In all of Zechariah's life, the text seems to indicate it had never happened. He was chosen by lot. In other words, Zachy, your turn. 
Doesn't seem all that extraordinary on the front end, does it? No, he's just going to go in, light some incense, pray quickly, and come out. In fact, the text tells us that this wasn't a long procedure. I mean, come on. Now, he didn't have a lighter, but he had some way to light it, already lit, light, and walk out. If he doesn't come out, there's scary consequences, right? In other words, had he sinned, did God strike him dead, which has happened before, or are there other problems? No. There's something that hasn't happened in 400 years. See, we go right by this every Advent season. This is the first time in 400 years God had spoken. And it's to an old man named Zechariah, an ordinary priest. And what happens next is extraordinary. You see, Zechariah, we're told, had waited in hope. Do not be afraid. As you skip down to verse 13, Gabriel begins to speak. And by the way, 400 years is way older than Zechariah was. So he likely had no idea at first what was going on other than this must be from the Lord. He'd never had a vision before. God had been silent. There'd been nothing. There's, there's no rubric to say, okay, well, this is how I grade this experience. This is how I translate this. This is how I figure this out. This is brand new territory. But what we do know is that Zechariah, leading up to this moment, had waited in hope as a man of prayer. Because look at what Gabriel tells us. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. Well, that's pretty cool. And if we look just at that verse, we tend to think that Zechariah's prayer was for a son, which would be a normal prayer for a priest, or for anybody at that time and any time. He wanted a son, and he and his wife Elizabeth would have prayed long and hard for that. But if you keep reading, if his prayer was so fervent just for a son, why would then he doubt the Lord just a couple of verses later? Maybe Gabriel is saying something more here. And I believe that Zechariah not only had been praying for a son. And honestly, at this point in his life, as some of you have experienced, he probably still said, Lord, if you could give me a son, that'd be great. But not with a lot of hope. But he was a righteous and upright man, right? He knew God's promises of the Old Testament, right? Would he not be praying for the very deliverance of his people? Would he not be praying for the Messiah who would carry the government on his shoulders? He wouldn't have necessarily known what that was going to be like. But Zechariah most certainly was praying. Just as in you get to Luke chapter 2, we meet Simeon and Anna who who likewise were also praying for the redemption and the consolidation of the covenant that was coming about for Israel. Zechariah was waiting, I believe anxiously, wondering if on his watch it was finally going to happen. The Messiah was finally going to come. So I wonder about us. If I asked you, when you woke up this morning, 
Count your first hundred thoughts, if you can count that many. I mean, they go pretty quick. Well, if you're a morning person, if you're an afternoon, if you're not a morning person, let's say after 10 a.m., once the brain's turned on or you've had the coffee, okay? But are any of those thoughts something like, well, this is what I've got to do today? Yeah? This is what I'm going to wear today? My breath stinks. They're, They're the normal kind of things, right? At any point in this progression of thought, does it happen to be a case where we say, Lord, today come, please. Is that ever one of our thoughts? Lord, make it today. Please bring your son back today. Or is the second thought then, and and I confess, I'm with you. I'm not always there either. And is the second thought then, Lord, if you don't come back today, please let me bring others to you today. Is that how we kind of go about waiting for the return of the Messiah? Or in all reality, do we just get through the day? I'm going to assume the awkward silence is maybe many of us get through the day. Now, there are special days that might point us to the return of Christ, such as Easter, such as the Advent season when we talk a lot about it. But I wonder aloud, do we wait in the kind of hope that it seems Zacharias certainly did and his wife did? Come, Lord, come. Or do we just get stuck in our rut? Do we just get caught up doing our own thing? Zechariah waited in hope. And as Gabriel talks to him, as Gabriel speaks and makes this bold promise straight out of the words of Malachi, Zechariah, just for a minute... And let's not be too hard on the guy. Would we believe an angel? Go ahead and ask that sentence of yourself. Would I believe an angel if I saw one right now? And for a moment, he wavered. Verse 18 says that Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. See, he calls himself old, so it's okay there. And my wife, a good husband, don't ever call your wives old. And he says, she is well along in years. In other words, ha! This ain't gonna happen. Gabriel, I know it's been 400 years. I think you're a little off your game. I think you've confused me for someone else. Or you're a little late. However you want to say it, that's what's being said here. I'm not the guy. How do I know this is true and I'm not just a little high on life? Whatever the question is, the question was still there. And Zechariah, just for a moment, he wavered. There are times in our lives when if you think, we too have probably wavered. And the thing is, how do we respond when we realize we've wavered? We've, doubt can be a very powerful thing. This is different than doubt. This is disbelief. This is saying, God, you can't do what you say you'll do. Okay? There's a whole Bible full of God can do what he says he'll do. And many of you are living testimonies of God doing what he says he'll do. You're here today for that very reason. But Zechariah said, nah, in this case, he can't. And some of us have said that too. 
Some of us have been unwilling to take that step of faith. We know we're called to that step of radical obedience to the Lord. I've met people that so long felt they should go serve the Lord in this way or go talk to their neighbor in this way or go pursue helping others in need. And they kept putting it off till tomorrow. And then all of a sudden they got to the point in their life when tomorrow was too late. And God used someone else. When we reconcile ourselves to the fact that I have wavered, we can either beat ourselves up and torture ourselves and say, there's no hope for me. I have messed up. That's it. My life is now marked. Or we can remember the identity that we have been given by believing in Jesus Christ and being adopted into the family of God and say we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lord. You may have wavered. You may have doubted. You may have walked away from the Lord but that doesn't mean it will mark you for the rest of your life. There is forgiveness and there is hope. Now, the reality is there's also consequences at time because Zechariah spent quite a long time being quiet. Did he not? God proved his point to Zechariah. And through the angel Gabriel, he said, you will not speak until that boy comes out. That's a long time. Now, I know there are some men in this room that are just very quiet men. But even the quietest of men in this room, I've heard speak at least once. Now, go ahead and imagine nine months to a year of nothing. Some of your wives think, well, I can't get him to talk now. Others of you think, oh, that would be great. But can you imagine, just as Pastor Dan explained to the children unable to communicate what God had said to him. 400 years of silence was followed by silence. It's a divine paradox, is it not? (laughs) We don't believe in the Lord. Fine, we'll shut you up. God had been quiet for 400 years. Zechariah, how do you think it feels? He wavered for just a moment. But that (laughs) was not all of the story doesn't have to be for us either. We may have wavered. We may have stepped to the left or to the right when God has told us to go forward. But he invites us to come back. What was the very message of John the Baptist? Repentance. Come back. Turn around and come toward me. And maybe today that's where you are. You just need somebody to say, you can repent and turn And God will welcome you. God loves you that much that he would send a messenger to proclaim that the Messiah was coming. The Messiah came and gave his life as a ransom for many, for all who would believe on him. See, this is what's called the good news. And it's why we celebrate Advent. And Luke wanted to make sure that we understood the full dynamics of what was happening as we build up to God becoming man. Because Luke wanted to make sure to his Gentile and Jewish reading audience that God's promises were to be fulfilled. And Zechariah had to learn that he was part of the plan. If you've had children, maybe you've looked at them as my parents once looked at me, probably not once, many, many, many times. Go sit down and think about what you've done. You ever have that? 
no more talking. Go sit and think about what you've done. Or when I was in school, I know you're not allowed to do this anymore. You have to turn and stand at the wall. Well, for a long time, Zachariah had plenty of time to think about what he'd done. That would make me mad. I like to talk. You want to talk about sports? Let's do it. Ohio State's playing right now, and I can't wait to hear that score. You want to talk about life? I love it. I love the life that God has called us to. I love Hong Kong. I know we're not perfect, but it's a great city. You want me to talk about my family? They are amazing. You want me to talk about music? Well, I don't know much, but I like it. Let's talk about anything. But to be quiet for that amount of time, waiting for the birth of your son, seeing your wife grow pregnant. Now, it didn't just happen. She didn't just... And there's a baby. No, she went through pregnancy naturally. Wow. Can you imagine Zachariah thinking, God, this isn't fair. I want to be able to celebrate with my wife and I can't even talk. And depending on which version you take and how you translate the Greek, it is often translated. The word they use there for mute was also used for deaf. We're not guaranteed that he could hear either. He might have been deaf and dumb not able to speak or hear anything going on. At the very least, he couldn't speak it. So what do you think I would do when I finally get the chance to speak again? Well, God, that sure stunk. (laughs) Praise the Lord. God didn't choose me. He chose Zechariah because I would have complained. Lord, why would you do that? That's not fair. You could have done this. You could have told me to be quiet for a day. That would have been plenty, yada, yada, yada. No, you made me wait all this time. No. The first words he could speak came as soon as he declared to the world the name of his son. His name is Zechariah, right? Because you all want a name. His name, uh, you know, we're listening, all right. (laughs) Zechariah, the next word out of his mouth, first word in months, immediately. You flip over to verse 64. Immediately, the minute his name is John, what does that signal? Not just that they named the kid John. All fine and good. It signals obedience to the Lord. It signals that, okay, Zechariah got the message. He will do what the Lord says. His name is John. This is a miraculous thing, and I know who he is, and I know what's coming. Immediately, his mouth was opened. His tongue was loosed and he began to speak complaining about poor me. This stinks. Why me? No, he praised God. I don't know all of the situations you find yourselves in today. I'll be honest. The elders have walked with me and my wife through a series of life where we didn't get it. We wondered why was our family getting sick? Why were the attacks coming in the ways they were in the past four months? And these are wise men that I confide in. And the common answer was, but you know what those elders kept doing and continued to do was they prayed with us as we wondered how God was working and what he was doing. And they walked with us and they kept saying, God's got a plan and they still have. And what happened here 
was regardless of the circumstances going on around Zechariah, when he could speak, his first words were praising God. And that led right into what is known in traditional Christian circles as the Benedictus. And just listen to these words from Zechariah. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to open up to Luke chapter 1 and follow along, verse 67 and beyond. Now, the great thing about a priest is the priest would have known the scriptures. So while these are Zechariah's words, they are replete with the words of Old Testament prophets. And Zechariah understood exactly what was happening and what was God, God was doing through him and through his son. And Zechariah couldn't help but praise him. Just listen to a man that gets how to worship. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and redeemed his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Keep coming back to that. Whose line was Jesus in? The line of David, the kingly line. Zechariah reminds us of that, as he said through his holy prophets long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies. And get this, enable us to serve him without fear. Interestingly, what does Jesus tell us? Don't be afraid. Don't worry. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Time and again, you don't have to be afraid. I am the Messiah. And Zechariah is praising him before he's even born. In holiness and righteousness. How are we holy and righteous today? Through the very blood of Jesus Christ. We've been washed, we've been purified, and we've been adopted into the family who have believed upon him. And you, my child, he thinks of his son, will be called a prophet. No one was able to say that for 400 years. And an old man gets to say to the world, the first words out of his mouth, you will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. Wow, can you imagine what, Isaiah, what Zechariah must have felt for his son, John? Nothing but pride and excitement to give his people the knowledge of salvation. Salvation's coming, people. Listen up. Through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. There is only one way to peace and his name is Jesus Christ. You see, the amazing thing is Luke not only told the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and how Gabriel came and spoke to Zechariah, Luke not only told the story of how John the baptizer was born, but Luke tells the good news, the gospel. And you look as he quotes these Old Testament passages, he puts it together and he sees and prophesies for the first time in 400 years. And it already happened once, just a few verses before with Elizabeth. Elizabeth. 
She did the same. Full of the Spirit, she prophesied. And the baby inside her jumped. I don't know how that happens, but that's pretty amazing. And here, Zechariah the prophet prophesies. And Luke, interestingly, talks about the good news throughout, but he rarely uses the word we use today for the gospel. We use the word as a noun, evangelion, the gospel, the good news. When Luke refers to the gospel, it is always as a verb, proclaiming the good news, evangelizo, evangelism testifying to the great news of the Savior that he's coming. And Zechariah's son was going to be proclaiming the way. Now, yeah, he was going to eat locusts and honey, and that sounds disgusting. But he was the chosen messenger of God. Wow. Zechariah got it. Not at first. But see, God kept using him, kept on speaking. And Zechariah couldn't help but speak out and preach the gospel. Well, what's our story? What do we do with this? What do we do with a message like this today? Because I'll be honest, I haven't seen an angel come to me and say something nearly miraculous as this. But I have been given this. And the Holy Spirit has come upon my life and told me to follow him. And he's promised that he'll teach me He'll convict me of sin. He'll guide me and he'll speak for me as I go into all the world preaching the gospel, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The question is, is the gospel lived out in our lives today? Zechariah wavered for a moment and when he got the chance, he proclaimed with great boldness and great beauty the good news of the message coming. I had a conversation the other day and I was so blessed because it's been a guy I've been talking to for a a couple months now and he looked at me and he said, okay. And I was like, well, where's this going? He said, you're a preacher guy. And I said, yeah, I get to, I'm a pastor. And he said, so you actually believe that Bible? And I said, yeah, I really do. And he said, okay. I says, well, Why? Now, he was not asking me for to, to give a defense of why I believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God. He wasn't looking for scientific evidence at this time. That may come later and we'll happily talk through that. What he wanted to know is, why do I believe an old ancient document like this that seems so outdated and so subversive today? And I looked at him and I said, well, well, tell me what you think about the Bible. And he went on and he shared a bit of his story, how he'd been once married before and there was a lot of legalism in the family. And he had seen the church be very mean. And he had seen a lot of zealotry toward the rules rather than a relationship. And he said, I don't see any need for that in my life. And I said, well, praise the Lord, neither do I. Okay, I didn't say praise the Lord. I thought that would be over the top. But I said, you know what? Neither do I. I said, but I do believe the Bible is true. I just think sometimes we humans get a little off our game. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, Jesus was pretty clear in a few things. One, he taught us that we're all sinners. And I said, two, he taught us that to live the life we're called to live, we're invited to love him and love others and look after the least of these. I said, and it's great news. And I said, three, we're invited to do this 
for all of eternity. I said, that's pretty amazing. And it's the sum of the gospel. It's the sum of the great news. And I said, I do believe that's to be true. And I try to live my life according to those principles. I said, okay, I can, I can deal with that. Unfortunately for that day, he didn't choose to say, I want that. But it was someone out there asking the question. And in that moment, I had to answer, would I proclaim the gospel? Or would I just say, well, yeah, I just believe it's true because it is. What about us? God sent Zechariah to tell a story of good news. God used Zechariah to tell the good news. Jesus would come as the savior of the world and his son would prepare the way. For us today, we're charged with preparing the way for Jesus to return. How do we prepare the way? We go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. There are people dying all over the world and next door. Punished, condemned to an a Christless eternity? Do we so look forward to the return of Christ that we can't help but proclaim him every moment of every day, every chance we get while we're here on earth? Or are we too busy wondering what we're going to wear to the Christmas banquet tonight? Let's pray. Lord, in such an extraordinarily magnificent way, You used a man like Zechariah and his wife, old people, to proclaim the good news that your son was coming. Lord, today we know he's coming back. And I pray that we would be faithful messengers of this gospel of the kingdom that you have given us. In your name I pray. Amen.